Hello, Grace Church family. My name is Adam Spees. I hope this video finds you well, uh, enjoying your summer. I wanna let you know about an opportunity here at the campus. We have our Know It workshops that start uh, beginning in kind of middle of August. You can find all that information on your website. We would love to see you. Uh, one of the highlights of our family is uh, towards the end of summer, we go to family camp. It's been our tradition the last few years, and uh, my kids uh, look forward to going to Miracle Mountain Ranch. Yes, there is a rock wall and um, archery, but uh, the horses in particular are what they really look forward to. It's an equestrian uh, Christian camp in Western PA, and uh, the highlight is when they turn eight, they're uh, available to go on a trail ride. And uh, this past year, my son Cooper had his first experience on a trail ride and uh, we had a wonderful time. Uh, he just delighted in the opportunity to spend an hour and a half uh, with uh, a group of people uh, on a horse. He became kind of uh, 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 the photo, uh, so to speak, for the camp because on their mailer promoting uh, family camp and their other camps, he got his 15 minutes of fame. You see him uh, very happy uh, upon his horse. Uh, now, when we tend to think of it, uh, probably a lot of us maybe uh, enjoy going on uh, horse rides, but uh, at times, it can be uh, a pretty scary, uh, treacherous uh, journey. Uh, I remember uh, when my wife and I, we had a friend, we were in South Africa, and we wanted to do something special around Christmas. Uh, we were in Cape Town at the time, and so uh, we had checked with our hotel that we were with for a few days and tried to pick a four-hour um, horseback ride on the beach. We made it there. It was uh, a little bit more in the woods, but got our training. Uh, there was no uh, language barrier because uh, English is an official language, one of many in South Africa. So uh, they asked our experience. We got our training and on the horses, we hopped. Us, uh, us three along with the guide. And we began on our journey and about 10 minutes in, I was second in line. My horse took off and it started running. I was kind of looking back at the guide and sure enough, uh, Johanna and our friend's horse were right behind me and it was going a full throttle trot. And uh, this went on for about 10 minutes. I remember as we kind of uh, cleared an open area and made it uh, into more of the wooded area that there was a branch at one point, like right in front. And I thought for sure, Adam's gonna be decapitated. This is the end of Adam. And fortunately I was able to get low enough, yell behind me. And uh, we only stopped because uh, the horse got tired. I, I had a little bit of PTSD to work through because it took me a decade plus or so before I was comfortable uh, to get back on a horse. Uh, now, I tell you that because um, we are in a series, a conversation, the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're looking at the word gentleness. Well, the Greek word prohutes uh, was used in secular writings 
to talk about a stallion that had gone under the process of being tamed. It was strength under control. That is uh, the conversation, the topic that we look at when we're in Galatians chapter 5. Because over the course of the summer, we've unpacked these nine characteristics that tell us about the work and the fruit of the Spirit. And gentleness, from what we have shared, is power that is steered and surrender. You can think of a horse that is tamed and... and My essence, the scariness of one that isn't trained that well, um, but the joy for an eight-year-old boy to be able to ride a horse. Gentleness that is steered and surrendered. In ancient Greek, uh, this word was used to talk about someone who had authority, power, but they were willing to lay aside uh, that authority for the purpose and the benefit of another. Now, uh, you can think of it much like this, that uh, I remember when Cooper was born. Maggie was two and a half, and uh, they met each other the first time at the hospital. Doesn't this picture just describe parenting sometimes, right? My wife's trying to find a a peaceful picture of enjoyment, and behind there, Cooper's screaming his head off in a world of chaos, trying to find peace. But for Maggie, what we were telling her, as any parent would do to find the right circumstance, be gentle with your brother. Why? Because she had the power to her brother who was virtually powerless. And so gentleness is power that is steered and surrendered. You see, um, Gentleness is often not a virtue that we look to. Maybe we think of it as weakness or passivity. Even in our culture, uh, we find ourselves often the, the strongest survive. It's a survival of the fittest, right? The louder heard, the pushy get what they want, the arrogant get noticed, the aggressive get ahead. But gentleness is power under control. Now, what I find fascinating is that right before we see the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, we see the acts of the flesh. And some of these correlate as kind of the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And in particular, fit of rage that we see that's listed as an act of the flesh. Right? Anger can be an interesting It can be a virtue, but it can also be a vice. We see that when circumstances collide with our passions and priorities, often the result is anger. When we assume or understand that someone is trying to hurt us consciously or subconsciously, right? The often result is anger. Anger, biblically speaking, is a neutral emotion. It's not wrong to feel angry. It's what we do with our anger that matters, right? We see that in both the Old and the New Testament, right? That we're told to be angry and not sin, right? That there is separation that is the choice of the result because this God-given emotion um, is designed so that we could solve problems, 
right? So that we can be aware of when we're at risk and when we are hurting. Biblically, there's two words that are used to talk about anger. And one is passion or energy, this equivalent of being powerful, right? I think of the example on uh, my trail ride. <laughs> um, the guide, when she ended up finding us about 15, 20 minutes later, came in and she was hot, right? She accused us of lying about our experience, right? I'd share that I'd been on a few trail rides before and um, I began to kind of begin to fume inside in response to what she was accusing me, my character and my integrity. And um, sure enough, uh, she told us that the consequence was we were not qualified to go on the beach. Now, now we didn't really want to ride on. We were done. Uh, but uh, for me, it was more of the, the principle in mind. And so we went back to the barn uh, about 45 minutes total into our four-hour experience. And I asked for a partial refund. Well, no have you. <laughs> of like, there was no budging. No matter what I tried, she said, I'm not responsible. And so I decided that I would take it back up with the hotel who I originally booked. And sure enough, I, I tend to uh, get along well with customer service experience. And uh, this was not much of that. I don't know if culturally speaking, uh, some of the perception of just being American overseas played into it, uh, but they wouldn't budge. Uh, I remember getting, um, I think, uh, a reservation in the restaurant just with potentially a partial discount um, and being treated rudely the entire time because what had been conveyed about this unhappy customer, right? So there are situations and circumstance where all of us get angry. But what we do with our anger is the most important because the result is that you and I can choose either gentleness to be under control or fits of rage when we are out of control. Now, anger creates in us this feelings of uh, power or superiority that people have hurt me, uh, that often they should be punished. But when I begin to feel this way, often anger seeks to find a target, right? And there are healthy and unhealthy targets that anger can find. Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any means because there are are things or attributes that we can direct our anger to. But often, fits of rage or unhealthy anger, it's directed at other people, which is assumed, but it also can be directed inward. You know, with our disappointment and our frustration, we even see when anger directed inward, it can cause significant problems. It can cause problems with our digestive troubles, eye disorders, dental problems, skin disease, hives, ulcer. Um, a person who can't find a proper target for their anger can be like a rattlesnake that, if left to its own devices, will kind of drive its fangs into itself, right? And so there's unhealthy ways that you and I can target our anger. But we see that in order... To exhibit gentleness, we must have a proper target for our anger. And that may be sin in general. Maybe it's 
accepting partial responsibility from my own sin, that when I engage in circumstances that maybe I could have handled things better, maybe it's the awareness that Satan is alive and active, that we live in a fallen world, right? Having healthy targets for our anger allows us to express gentleness to others. Choosing gentleness, it dignifies people. What it's saying is, I believe that my target, when it's directed to people, that you have inherent value. I recognize that circumstances and difficulty, rejection, pain may have caused you to interact this way, that you might have a story. But because you're made in the image of God, I'm going to treat you with value and dignity, even though you may not deserve it. I think for all of us, often a litmus test is how anger plays out within our home, right? Often those that are closest to, that maybe we uh, share the most life with, they get the best of us, but also the worst of us. That's why I think the admonishment Paul gives throughout the New Testament is that gentleness should be exhibited within the home. Look at this for husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. This just doesn't mean loud, obnoxious uh, fits, but it can also be our tone and within our words, right? How easy it is for us to fall in the trap of sarcasm, <laughs> right? I just naturally, I think, default to that. I'm prepping this week and uh, on social media, uh, I saw a post and I immediately thought of Pastor Aiden, right? Because I invited him years ago uh, to a softball game and uh, Aiden's more of the musician, uh, but he came and he joined us uh, and he got, I think, two hits. He did very good. I was impressed. You might want to invite him out to your softball games. Uh, but the funny thing is Aiden came dressed in jean shorts. So it made me think of this post. Nick Young, uh, a former NBA player, showed up at the USC alumni game in jorts, right? And uh, I sent it to him and said, Aiden, you're not alone. And then afterwards, I thought about it and I'm like, how do you take that, right? Uh, fortunately, he uh, was comfortable and it can be more satire, but how often am I evaluating uh, things that I may say and or do to someone else and how it may come across to them, right? This harshness cannot just be in being loud and obnoxious, but also our tone and what we say and the venue in which we say. Now, um, wives are not excluded. Because this picture of a wife that is serving and after fearing the Lord is one that's concerned more about their inner beauty rather than their outer beauty, right? This verse, uh, these verses happen to be hanging on a plaque in my daughter's room. It says, um, it shouldn't come from your outward beauty, but rather your concern should be of your inner beauty, one of a gentle and quiet spirit. We see that in the role of parents, that they're told in Ephesians 4, fathers could also be parents, include mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. What that means is do not um, add fuel to the fire of 
anger, right? It means to irritate. It means to frustrate someone intensely. Because what Paul is getting at here is that gentleness in the home is essential for the family to flourish, right? All of us have had an experience one way, and maybe that condition and that acceptance of how we grew up, uh, family dynamics, some of us um, maybe have home environments uh, that unfortunately do not exhibit uh, gentleness. We see uh, pictures here that give us the power, um, but also the abuse when um, things are out of sorts. These two pictures related to this word of gentleness is uh, the word of medicine. Medicine uh, can bring great healing, can attack disease, but out of control medicine uh, can cause addiction, uh, overdose, right? Um, wind, uh, a gentle breeze can be cool and refreshing, especially on a hot summer day. Uh, but wind out of control, right? Tornadoes, um, hurricanes, it can wreak great havoc. That's what it is uh, related to our anger. When it's under control, when we've uh, submitted and entrusted uh, our result uh, to God, that we allow vengeance to be his, that we recognize that he is supreme and ruling and ultimately in control, that we don't have to be out of control. Those that are out of control, often they fight for control. They fight for their own way or their own influence. And we see how essential within the home for a family, an environment to flourish, one of safety, one of trust, one of security, is that gentleness may should be a part in expectation. I think a few questions for you and I when we think of whether we're in control or out of control. What circumstances lead me to be out of control? When do I begin to kind of feel the lid of my anger increasing? When I'm treated unfairly, when someone takes advantage of me, when people insult me, when the boss or a coworker is unfair to me, when evil ways of others go unpunished, when I don't get what I think I deserve, right? There might be particular situations where regularly I find myself uh, hot-headed and how I respond that I can identify and understand those. I think a second question, Am I allowing God to cultivate gentleness in place of my defensiveness? Right? Our pride uh, worries us to be concerned about our reputation. Right? What other people think, uh, projecting the right image. Um, but those that um, are aware and allow uh, their identity to be guarded and guided by God, those are the ones that are free. Uh, they're free uh, not to respond uh, in defensiveness, in anger, to criticism uh, or to negative feedback or maybe not getting what we deserve. They're not easily angered. They're not easily offended, right? Am I quelching my defensiveness so that I'm more approachable, that others uh, can sense this gentle approach, is the trajectory of my life moving towards gentleness or away? When I thought about this, I, I thought, you know what? 
it's a journey, not a destination, right? Because there may be difficult circumstances we go through, challenging environments that really make it hard for us to exhibit and show gentleness, right? Maybe some of us are in those now. And so am I cultivating, is my desire to pursue gentleness, right? Or am I becoming more out of control? Am I finding myself in environments where I'm more angry? Now, I find a lot of hope because um, there's two people in Scripture that are described as gentle people. One you may assume, Jesus. But there's a second, do you know? We find this in Numbers chapter 12. Moses. Moses was a man who was meek. Another word that can be translated as gentle. Right? More gentle than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, I find that fascinating. Moses is graciously, patiently leading his people uh, out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. Right? And doing so with grace and care. But previous, year before, Moses had an anger problem, right? Moses was born a Hebrew, a Jew, but he grew up in an Egyptian palace. And so later, early in his adult life, uh, he witnessed an Egyptian mistreating a Jew. And so his anger led him to respond and respond in an out-of-control fashion. He murdered the Egyptian. But over the course of many years, in a potential anger management recovery program, God uh, had him in the place as a shepherd, that God worked in his life and brought about transformation. Maybe it's the gentle care of sheep that he was required to do. As he grew in his understanding and faith of who God was, he was able to surrender and steer his power so that he could be used by God in a mighty way, that he could stand uh, in front of the most powerful human that walked the earth, Pharaoh, and bring about truth, right? That God could use him to deliver his people. It gives me a lot of hope when I think of us that might be in situations where we feel like we continually fail, we're in a negative cycle, that God's not done yet that he can redeem and the spirit can work in a way to make what was broken beautiful. Now, I find it fascinating because the NIV translates this word as humble. We see this close connection to this idea in scripture, one of humility, one of gentleness. Gentleness is really a little sister to this idea of humility. Because we see gentleness is proper self-restraint, as we've talked about, power under control, while humility is our attitude. It's proper self-regard. I heard it said, I think it might be C.S. Lewis, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, right? This idea that we are called to consider others better than ourselves. All throughout Scripture, we see these two paired together. Look at just three examples. Paul is writing and he's saying, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, right? In Ephesians, he's saying, be completely humble and gentle. They're paired in close proximity. 
right? In Colossians, as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves. How? With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. The humble, they're able to entrust their cause to God. They don't have to act out of control, seeking control, because their agenda is God's cause in the cause of others. They don't have to fight for their own cause. They know that ultimately vengeance is the Lord, that we don't have to repay evil with evil. Their dignity is given and guarded by God. They are free because they don't have to maintain their own cause. Gentleness, it's a journey, not a destination. But it's interesting to see that scripturally speaking, we're given some admonishment, some encouragement of the benefits of gentleness, the rewards of gentleness. We see this in uh, Proverbs, that gentleness de-escalates out of control anger, right? Because in Proverbs 15.1, maybe you've seen or heard this, that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word in turn stirs up anger. You see, you and I um, are designed, humanly speaking, with this mirror neurons that uh, when we're in a setting, uh, to mirror what we're being shown. And so the natural response is that uh, one who's loud, that I will increase my voice. One who's maybe um, a little down, uh, I might sympathize with them and become down. And, and that's helpful in order to connect with others. But it can be dangerous in terms of out-of-control anger. Right? How powerful could it be? If we consciously, I understand it so hard, make a choice that when others raise their voice, I lower mine, right? That we allow under the Spirit's control such gentleness that can de-escalate, diffuse conflict because it's so surprising. Proverbs gives us another benefit. It says gentleness is persuasive, right? In 25.15, it says, through patience, a ruler, someone with authority in charge, power, can be persuaded. A gentle tongue can break a bone. You may be questioning the second portion of that, right? The bone is just um, a solid kind of foundation example. You could think of stone, right? A heart of stone that ultimately uh, anger will... Uh, be, uh, would cause someone to be more dogmatic and driven in their opinion to where they may be more likely swayed with persuasiveness, with gentleness, right? Now, we don't get that just to get our own way. Uh, it's not a manipulative tactic. But we do that because our desire is we want to influence others. We want to care for others. And gentleness is the best way to do that. We see in First Peter that... Gentleness is a surprisingly powerful apologetic. You say, may say, what that means, I'll flesh it out for you. But in 1 Peter 3, we're told um, how we live our life with those that haven't aligned or haven't said yes to Jesus. And it says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to what? To give an answer for the hope that we have. Right? Hopefully our life begs a question. And do so with gentleness and respect. That how we respond to others' curiosity, questions, 
Maybe criticism. If we respond with gentleness, it's disarming. It's wooing. It's surprising others. At the end of May, um, uh, cultural Christianity uh, lost um, an icon, sounds bad, but someone of great importance. Um, We've mentioned him many times because we're heavily influenced. Tim Keller, uh, he was a pastor and author. He lost his battle with pancreatic cancer. Uh, He had planted a church that planted many other churches in New York City. And he was faithful uh, for caring for people for many years. Um, There was uh, another pastor by the name of Bear Clifton. He wrote a tribute to Keller, which I think is um, so essential if you've gotten to know him or maybe seen video or hear him speak. And this tribute was entitled, uh, In Tribute to the Gentle Giant Tim Keller. He says, arguably Tim Keller's greatest contribution to the contemporary church was his consistent refusal to argue with those he sought to bring faith who disagreed to his message. In 2 Timothy, he says the Apostle Paul writes, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents. How? With gentleness. Every phrase, he says, was embodied by Keller. He was a pioneer in the art of apologetics, which means just defending the faith. In this video series, he wrote a book, uh, The Reason for God, which kind of laid out um, uh, proofs, principles of why one should believe in his existence. But he brought a panel of unbelievers and uh, atheists, those who were going to critique his worldview, right? And they were allowed to ask any and every question. They took the time, uh, he took the time to respectfully dialogue with them and explain the beliefs of biblical Christianity. He says, vintage Keller-like, void of all anger, vitriol, name-calling, disrespect, qualities that are often in short supply in our culture. You see how powerful, right? The reality that... Um, I can do life not to win an argument, but rather to win a relationship, right? That for the sake of valuing someone else, I can treat them with respect, with admiration. I can respectfully disagree, but that's only possible if I exhibit gentleness, if I exhibit love and care and concern for the other individual. Now, I said earlier, is what we know, um, gentleness uh, was also attributed to someone else that we find in Scripture. But I find it fascinating. There's one place in Scripture where we see God describe his heart. Jesus, God with skin on, describing who he was. And it's found in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Because Jesus is demonstrated gentleness perfectly. We see that here, right? This invitation that he makes, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, those who face the difficult uh, challenges of life, those who try to live under the weight of achieving their own salvation. Why shall they come to me? Because I'm gentle and humble in heart. Pastor Dane Ortland says, The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Uh, 
Jesus isn't harsh, reactionary. He's not easily put out or frustrated. He's the most understanding person in the world. I think what was hard for the Jews that time that they had this impression and understanding of their Messiah, the Savior, the Chosen One, that he would come as a mighty warrior that would redeem their nation, that he would establish a physical kingdom. What they didn't envision and anticipate was a gentle man riding on a donkey, willing to lay down his life for the sake of others. Now, I find one of probably the clearest example of his gentleness in Scripture towards the end of his life, the last day of his life. Because the day before his death, Jesus had gathered his disciples. They were having the Last Supper. This was kind of the first communion where he talked about his impending death and uh, the ordinances that he would establish uh, for future time to hearken back to this event, this time frame, right? That he had washed his disciples' feet, that he recognized and acknowledged Judas was going to betray him, that he freed him to go do that. And so he went that evening after dinner together celebrating the Passover meal with some of his closest disciples to the garden, and uh, they're there praying. And uh, Jesus, it says in Scripture, was sweating droplets of blood, a known medical condition for uh, individuals who are under extreme amounts of stress. Three times he goes off to pray, comes back, finds his disciples asleep. I think he's probably already, should be, humanly speaking, a little frustrated. But we see that's when Judas comes back. He's still speaking with the other disciples when Judas arrived. With him, a large crowd armed with swords, clubs sent from the chief priests and elders. Now he had arranged a signal. How ironic that he would kiss him. And so he does this. And Jesus says, greetings, Rabbi. He kisses him. And Jesus replies, do what you came for, friend. How would you have responded? I know how I wouldn't respond. I wouldn't have let him get anywhere close to me, right? Let alone kiss me, let alone call him friend. But we see here, it says, then the men stepped forward. They seized, they were ready to arrest him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. It's Peter, another gospel, gospel of John says, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, Malchus, cutting off his ear. Jesus tells him, put your sword back. All right, put it in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. He says, do you not recognize my power, Peter? Do you not believe that I can call on this legion of angels, this angel army to come rescue me at this point? He says, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled to say that it must happen in this way? Do you see the one with all the power, with all authority, was willing to steer it and surrender it for our benefit, for our sake? That's why he came. That even amidst the moment of anger and frustration, he was able to exhibit gentleness. Because gentleness what was, was required in order to fulfill God's plan of redemption and reconciliation. John records 
that Jesus told Peter, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Do you see, Jesus didn't choose the sword, but he chose the cup for our benefit. C.S. Lewis in his letter says, gentle Jesus, the most striking thing about our Lord is the union of great ferocity with extreme tenderness. This is the appearance in human form of a God who made the tiger and the lamb, the avalanche and the rose. He'll frighten and puzzle you, but the real Christ is to be loved and admired. You see, his willingness to be obedient on the cross was a picture of his gentleness. He had all authority and power that he could have avoided that moment. But because he considered others, he considered us, he willingly gave his life freely. In Philippians 2, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but rather in humility value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, death on a cross. You see, for those that have placed our faith in the finished work of the cross, for those that have received the Spirit of God, that is a gift, a sealing of salvation, of finding our identity in Him, it says that we have exchanged our limited power for His. Right? Ephesians 1, Paul's praying that... Um, we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Because with the Spirit's power, it makes what we seem impossible, possible. His incomparably great power is available by believing that Jesus is ruling supreme that he is on his throne, that he has all authority, that you and I are willing to entrust him as the ultimate judge, that we don't take our own cause, that we don't make the call, but that he always makes the right call. His incomparably great power gives us the ability to extend gentleness to those that are least deserving. His incomparably great power allows us to extend kindness to those who've done heinous hacks, even to ourself. His incomparably great power gives us the ability to love when we'd rather hate, forgive when we'd rather fight, serve when we'd rather punish. It's only his incomparably great power that can heal us from our past, our out-of-control anger, our deep hurt, our pain, our frustration. Have you tapped into the power that's available? Are you becoming more gentle? Are you pursuing gentleness? 
Is your life this uh, calm, cool breeze? Is it medicine to the souls of others? Is it power that is steered and surrendered for his sake, for his cause? It's the work of the Spirit in and through us that allows us to be different, that allows us to live with gentleness, not out of control, not seeking to control, but under control, trusting that ultimately God's at work, that it's his power we lean on for our strength, and we ask that he would allow us to consider others above ourselves so that he'd be honored and glorified. Lord, that's our hope and prayer. You know, as we watch that some of us maybe are in extremely difficult circumstances and situations. Lord, we don't minimize pain and hurt, uh, but yet there's a different way. Out of control anger <laughs> further exacerbates um, difficult situations, destroys intimacy, um, but yet gentleness can create security and trust, bonding and forgiveness. Lord, in a culture where the survival of the fittest, I pray that we'd be different, that we'd exhibit gentleness. Lord, that as your spirit develops and cultivates within us, that it would be so attractive to each and every person that we rub up with, that we would be approachable, that we'd be humble, that we would show proper restraint because it's by your power that we are led. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.